One three-year-old's explanation for being in the kitchen atop a chair eating fresh-baked cookies went like this. I just climbed up to smell them, and my tooth got caught. That's profound logic. I'm a victim here, Mom. I feel that way sometimes when Kim has cooked something, and it's like, I'm a victim here. I got to, you know, I've got to have seconds. Temptation, whether it comes in the form of a cookie or a, another forbidden fruit of some kind, it's common to everyone. Temptation is not sin, and it's common to everyone. It's how we respond to temptation, which will determine whether it, it corrupts us, has a corrupting influence on us, or makes us whole. The devil would use it to twist our character and to weaken us. I just love the words of your song. They're so pure, so strong. Uh, and the Lord would use it, the temptation, to temper us, to strengthen us, and to make us free. So let us now look to the example that Jesus left us here. After the Holy Spirit has descended upon him as a dove at his baptism. This is the inauguration of his three-year ministry. He's about 30 years old and he's ready to, to begin. He'll collect some disciples and he'll turn the world upside down. Through his word and through his witness, and through their testimony. So the Holy Spirit came down. It was a visual aid from heaven, like a dove descending upon him. And then the audio from Father, God the Father, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Verse, and then right into verse, or chapter 4. Then... Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, if, or more correctly, to be understood in our present correct vernacular, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said to him, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Why was Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil? How did he end up there? The Holy Spirit put him there. Think about that for a minute. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing everything right. And the Holy Spirit led him there, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. James 1.13 makes it clear that God does not lead anyone or tempt anyone to do evil. It's not who he is. It's not in him. But God does test us to make us strong. And a case in point is Abraham. Genesis 21, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Modern versions translate the word tempt as test because that is what it was. This was a test to see 
If Abraham would trust God's promise that through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He told him to take his son, his only son, whom he loved, Isaac. This is the child of promise through whom God said he's going to, through him, be a blessing to all the world. That through him, the Messiah would come, the seed, capital S. And now he tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son, that object that you love supremely, perhaps. It says the next day he got up early, saddled a donkey, and set off on a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. It was a test. And it wasn't to prove something to God. I think it was to prove something to Abraham. Because sometimes we can love a person more than God. He'd waited 25 years for this, the fulfillment of this promise, this promised child. Now God says, give him up. And you perhaps know the story of how on the way up, Isaac says, Father, I see the wood, and we have the wood, we have the fire. For the sacrifice, where's the lamb? And in Abraham's famous statement, God will provide himself a lamb. And before Abraham could carry out that incredible act of obedience, he was stopped by an angel and he showed him a ram caught in the thicket. And, and sure enough, there was a type right there on top of Mount Moriah a couple of thousand years later, or I should say more like a, what was it? A thousand years later or so, Solomon would build a temple on top of Mount Moriah. No doubt Abraham's trust in God was stretched to the max. <laughs> but he returned from Mount Moriah with his faith a hundred times stronger because it was tested. He saw God could be trusted. Gandalf the gray would never become Gandalf the white if he didn't descend into the heart of the earth to be tried and tested. That's a little morsel for you Tolkienites. I know we have some over here. So Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into a place of temptation, a place of testing, uh, not so as to complete something lacking in his faith, um, as God uses temptation in our lives. James 1, chapter 1, verse 4 says, you know, when we encounter these trials and these tests and these temptations, don't, don't kick against it. Consider it all joy even, because God is going to work that as you persevere and you learn to trust and be patient. He's going to build your character and complete something in you that's lacking. But that wasn't the reason for temptation in Jesus' case here. It was to identify with us. Remember, that's why he was baptized. He didn't need to confess any sin and be cleansed. He was already clean. He was the holy offspring. But he did it to identify with us fallen humanity. And so he, he is here also allows this temptation, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, allows Jesus to be tempted 
to identify with us and to demonstrate that he has an incorruptible character. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways. That's kind of an incredible statement because you've probably been tempted in some pretty heinous ways. It says that Jesus was tempted just like that, yet without sin. It's a testimony to us. The first temptation appealed to Jesus' physical need, body fuel. He needed nutrients. Verywellhealth.com points out that we can survive actually 43 to 70 days without food. Incredible. After a few days, our hunger pangs begin to subside if we're fasting. But they come back when we get to that point of starvation. And that's the point that Jesus was at. He became hungry again after 40 days. And that's when the devil suggested he turn the stones into bread. The devil will always try to get us to focus on our base appetites. Food, companionship, or sexual connection. You know, those are the things that are just natural drives that we have and appetites. And he'll always try to get us to focus on those things in hope of getting our eyes off of God, off of his love and his provision. Using our present trial, whatever it is we find ourselves in, using that trial to cast suspicion on God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his power. He'll whisper in our ears, if you were really a child of God, he'd provide bread for you. You're in financial straits because, well, God has just forgotten you. He's forsaken you. You can't trust him. You have to take things into your own hands. And wasn't this the original temptation in the garden? God said, hey, you can eat from all of this, except for this tree right here. And what was it? It was a temptation. It was a test of their allegiance. And they failed epically. Devil tried to put in there, mind you can't trust God. He doesn't have your highest and best at heart. You got to take things into your own. Grab that fruit. You eat of that, he knows you're going to be like him. Knowing good and evil. And they chose in that moment to believe the lie and doubt the truth of God. What does God say? In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to get to that soon. Do not be anxious then, he tells the multitude, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles, or the unbelievers, eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father... Those who are children of God who trust in Christ have a heavenly father. Your heavenly father knows you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. His kingdom, that is 
His rule on earth as it is in heaven. That's wherever God is king, that's his kingdom. And his righteousness. And Micah's saying about it today. He's talking about his righteousness. What righteousness do we have of our own? None. None are righteous. Not even one, the Bible says. None are right with God because of their own religious endeavors or good works or prayers or fasting or any of those things. It's his righteousness. Through faith in Christ, he robes us in his righteousness. So he says, seek first his kingdom, his will to be done, and his righteousness, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and all these things that you need, that God knows you need, they're going to be added to you. But don't obsess over those. You don't even need to think about that. He's thinking about that. No reason for both of you to be obsessed. Let him who is all powerful and faithful and good, let him worry about that. Let's keep it simple. Jesus says much the same thing here in our text. When he answers the devil, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Because our eternal spiritual life is more important than our temporal physical life. I know we might nod and say, yeah, that, I agree with that. But do we live that out? Do, do, do we really believe that the... And again, I know I'm singing to the choir a bit because you, you got up you know, relatively early today and came here. You could be home watching football or something. But you came here because our spiritual life is eternal. And (laughs) much more important than our physical life, these tents are so transitory and temporal. We have two options. This is how I see it. Our two options go like this. Either we take God at his word, that is, believe in Christ, find true contentment now, and live forever. Or, option number two, live only to satisfy our fleshly appetites, remain restless, and die forever. You know, some people think, oh, death, you know, game over. I'll deal with that, you know. know, It's not game over. We have immortal souls that will dwell with God either in heaven or will will dwell where it says the worm never dies. In other words, eternal restlessness and discontentment. Those are our only options. The living water that Jesus offered the Samaritan woman that would cause her to thirst no more. Remember, she's gone out alone by herself from Samaria to, this, to Jacob's well. And, and she lived a shameful life and she didn't want to be around people, but Jesus meets her there. And she's going to draw down and get some water. And he tells her, you know, if you asked me, I'd give you living water and you wouldn't thirst any more. He was talking about a relationship with the living God whereby, whereby we become 
continually refreshed as temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul refers to as temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit lives in us, and Jesus refers to us as this this torrent of water. You know, this was an arid land, this uh, Jacob's well there outside of Samaria. It was a thirsty place. To have a cup of cold water, he was like heaven on earth. It was so refreshing. And he says, I would be just a continual source of refreshment for you if you would only ask. Seeking first a relationship with Christ through his word, it satisfies the deepest thirst. Remember the psalmist says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. We know him through his word that satisfies our deepest hunger like nothing else can. Verse 5, when the devil, then the devil took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You'll notice that Jesus didn't enter into a a, a dialogue, a conversation with the devil who was whispering these temptations into his ears. He simply accurately quotes God's authoritative word, which is the final arbitrator in all our decisions. That's why it's so important that we know God's word, the whole counsel of God. Of course, the devil knows how to twist scripture. He's not ignorant of the things written here. He knows how to twist it for his own deceptive purposes. In verse 6, he quotes from Psalm 91, beginning in verse 11. But he leaves out the qualifier. He says, God, the Bible says that God promises to protect the Messiah, to guard him in all God's ways. That's the qualifier. Not to do his own thing. Not to seek vainglory. He promises to guard him in all his ways according to God's plan and purposes. The devil is trying to get Jesus to take another way. Not the way of humility, but the way of the boastful pride of life. Something we all deal with. Malachi 3 verse 1 speaks of the Messiah coming suddenly to his temple. And many people living in first century Uh, Israel there, Uh, they assumed that that meant that when the Messiah came, he would come directly from heaven in all his glory and descend upon the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah. He would bypass the birth canal, the incarnation, poverty in Bethlehem and obscurity in Nazareth. He would just come in all his glory Boom! And everyone would just fall down and worship him. Many believe that. So the the devil jumps on that idea and tempts him to forego his humiliation for immediate adulation. Forget about Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant. 
We'll just cut that chapter out of the Bible. And all the other places in the Bible that talks about the suffering servant who would come and take upon his self our transgressions. Jesus performing a sensational miracle like they had hoped with no saving power in it was not God's way. The only sign or sensational miracle that Jesus would promise and depend upon was what? An empty tomb. When they were gawking about the the temple that Solomon had built, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And that's the only sign that you need to know and depend upon to believe that I am who I claim to be. God the Son. The resurrection is always enough to inspire true faith. The devil is constantly trying to get us to doubt God's love for us. But there is never a need to test God, but only to trust him. Calvary settled once and for all the height, depth, and breadth of his commitment. It's a total commitment. He loved, we love because he first loved us. We should commit to him in like kind. John MacArthur wrote, to test God is to doubt God. Got a slide for that? I want you to see it. To test God is to doubt God. To doubt God is not to trust, and not to trust him is sin. It's a simple formula. To test God is to doubt God. To doubt God is not to trust, and not to trust him. We have no other other way of escape. The wrath of God against sin, it will be poured out, and is poured out every day. We are meant to trust him in his provision. Verse 8, David, the, the devil now takes, makes one more attack on Jesus via the eye gate. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him something, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. There are three areas we've read this morning in which the devil hammers, hammers Jesus and he hasn't, the devil hasn't changed his strategy In 4,000 years, 1 John 2, 16 refers to uh, these three areas as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Satan's already appealed to Jesus' flesh through the loaves. He's hungry, and here's some, you know, you can have these the stones turned to bread and eat and satisfy your flesh. 
He's already appealed to his flesh and to the boastful pride of life with the uh, instant winning of the crowd through this vain miracle. Which bypasses the cross. Now he tempts Jesus through the eye gate. He shows him something. Look at this. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. All their glory. All their splendor. I will give you this if you bow down and worship me. The earth and all that it contains. This was given to Adam and Eve to have dominion over. But they abdicated their throne when they listened to Satan, listened to the lies of Satan, doubted God, and rebelled in the garden. The devil has since been referred to by Jesus in John 14.30 as ruler of this world, and by the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.4 as the God of this age or the God of this world. And when it's talking about world, it's not just talking about the physical planet, but more importantly, the people that inhabit this planet. For God so loved the world. It's not saying he loved this, you know, dirt clod orbiting the sun. It's the people on it. And the devil says, I'll give it to you because it was given to me. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a meaningless promise. It had some clout to it. It was a real temptation. That which the devil placed before the eyes of Jesus, lordship, basically, was something that Jesus desired, but not in the way that Satan offered it, that is, without a cross. Having a kingdom of redeemed souls was the joy set before Jesus by which he willingly endured the cross. He's looking for a bride, the bride of Christ. And so, yeah, lordship, Benevolent reign in our hearts and minds is something that he desires, but it only comes through his submission and his sacrifice. You'll notice that he doesn't linger to gaze upon the temptation. He didn't need to pray about it. It was already settled in the, in the word of God. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We don't have to pray about whether or not we should defraud somebody, take advantage of someone for our personal gain. No, the Bible says that's sin. We don't, we don't do that. That's the way of the world. That's not our way. It's not the way that the, that, uh, the mode of operation within the kingdom of God. We prefer one another. We don't need to pray about whether or not we should look at pornography. To look at someone to lust after them sexually, Jesus says it's the same as committing adultery. We, we, don't, we know that if we know scripture. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to pray about fornication, sexual relationships with someone that is not our husband and wife. 
within a heterosexual context. We, we don't have to pray about that. We don't have to pray about whether or not we can trust God for our daily bread. He has promised that. We're to ask for it in faith, but we don't have to try to get it some other way. The way that Jesus handled the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word, it reminds me of how important it is for us to know the truth of God's word. To know the creator's revelation to man. That's what this book we call the Holy Bible is. It's a revelation of God, of who he is and what he is about. It's a key emphasis here at Calvary Chapel Eastside, beginning with our children's ministry. And then our, our Awana Wednesday night program. I heard the awes there. If you, if you want to volunteer, we take volunteers to come and, and minister to these little lambs, as long as you don't eat them, because they're pretty edible. Look at that. This is the cubbies, the three to five age group. But on Wednesday night, we're working hard to instill in them a knowledge of God through his word. We believe in that wholeheartedly. Roger Atherton and Brian Parks and I were at a, at a pastor's ministers, ministry leaders, uh, breakfast last Monday at Calvary Chapel South. And, and uh, the guy that cooks and cleans for them shared a little bit of his testimony, how he'd been raised uh, you know, with a knowledge of God, a, uh, so to speak, through this religious activity and, um, that his family was involved in. But he said it wasn't until he came to Calvary Chapel and, they, and, they, and he started to study it verse by verse to, to, gain, to gain the whole counsel of God that his faith was revolutionized. And many of us, I know, have that testimony. I have that testimony. I was raised in a religious, you know, structure, but I had no relationship with Jesus until I began to feed upon it Line upon line, the word of God. My faith just prospered. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Yesterday at our men's Zoom prayer meeting in the morning, and men, you're all welcome to join us. Pacific time, 8.30, from 8.30 to 9. It's just half an hour. It goes like that. But we're with people from all over the world, from Bulgaria to Hong Kong, uh, spending a little time, and we do, we do look at the Word. We pray a little before, we look at the Word, and then we pray more after. Uh, it's a wonderful time. You're all encouraged to join us. You can find out more online. But um, We considered Psalm 119 and verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Answers? Mr. Gideon over here knows... <laughs> That's an important question for young people growing up today. 
the matter of life and death. How can a young person keep their way pure? And the verse goes on by keeping it according to your word. Your word. Even more than David, Jesus could say, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The Lord succeeded in showing us how to gain victory over the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life by humbly trusting in his word. And remember that that faith strengthening test, it will pass. That test will pass. God will provide relief. As Jesus experienced at the hands of of ministering angels. He will give us strength from heaven for the day. Strength of heaven for today and eventually all our tomorrows. That's how good and faithful and powerful God is. Amen? Let's pray. Praise the Lord. Lord, I'm so thankful that we're not left as orphans um, to try and live by our own wit and own devices. Uh, Estranged from the God who made us. You've made a way for us. And you've given us uh, a clear revelation through your word, this very special and specific revelation of who you are and what your plan and purpose for our life is. And I thank you for it. I thank you for the morsels that you have fed us today. And I pray that by your spirit, You would cause these words to nourish our hearts, Lord. Our innermost beings. That we would grow by it. We would grow strong in our faith. And know that whenever we are tested, it's for that purpose of simply proving our faith, strengthening it, as it was with Abraham. We do not live as children of God. We do not need to live as slaves to sin. Help us to to just feed upon your word and, and trust in it. And we can say with with Jesus, be gone, Satan. I'm going to submit to God. Resist the devil that you must flee. That's the promise from James. We submit to God. We resist the devil and he has no alternative but to flee. We thank you for that, Lord. And if you're here today and you, you desire that kind of relationship with God, maybe you have never opened your heart to him, but you want to do it now or perhaps 
you've just felt estranged from him and powerless and stuck in some dark place where the, the temptations of Satan are just running roughshod over your soul. But today you want to trust in God anew. And I want you to pray with me. Let's just pray. Either for the first time or to renew your faith. Just say, dear God, thank you for bearing in your body my sin upon the cross. Thank you for loving me that much. For my brothers and sisters that have maybe fallen away. Let's pray together as well. Just Lord, renew in us a right spirit. Help me to trust in your word today that says, if I confess my sin, you're faithful, you're just to forgive me of all my sin and cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. I I confess it today. Lord, I have fallen into temptation, but, but today I find relief through your forgiveness and through your spirit welling up within me as a as a torrent of living water. Refresh my soul today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.